Let us open the Word of God to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 for the lessons that the Lord has for us there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Every word of God is pure. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, including Isaiah chapter 30 and its 33 verses. The theme of this chapter, in spite of Judah, wickedly trusting Egypt more than trusting their God, he would save them and give them a great revival. It's a tremendous story. It's the long version, 33 verses long. Isaiah 31 is the very same facts and events and prophecy. It's just the short version. It's the summary. It's nine verses long. But here we go with Isaiah chapter 30. I have shared with you already by a preparatory email yesterday a breakdown of the chapter into five parts. Let's take up part one which is that Judah looked to Egypt for safety when they should have looked to the Lord. This chapter and the next chapter is clearly about a serious invasion of Judah under and during the reign of King Hezekiah. When you look at verse 31 of this chapter, it says, For through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down. So when were the Assyrians beaten down? They weren't beaten down in the reign of Tiglath-Pileser. They weren't beaten down under Shalmaneser. They weren't beaten down under Sargon. They were beaten down under Sennacherib. And so we know the event. And when you look at chapter 31, it tells us the same thing in verse 8. Then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword. And it wouldn't be the sword of men. It would be the sword of the Lord. And it wouldn't be the sword of Gideon. It would be the sword of an angel. And so we know this event. Any reader, any listener, anyone looking at these chapters should realize that God has repeated the historical events about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, many times in the book of Isaiah. We are only in the middle of the accounts of this event. Do not tire of it or you are tiring of God's repetition. And when God repeats something, there's value in it for us. Amen. This was a large event in the history of the church of the Old Testament. And so it's repeated over and over. After all these chapters about it, we are going to come to chapters 36 through 39, which are the detailed historical account of it all over again in the book of Isaiah. Because God chose, by inspiration, that we need these things, and by preservation, for us to have them. There's some great lessons. The main lesson that we want to get out of this morning and the second service later this afternoon is that you should not be looking anywhere else for your help, nowhere else for your peace, nowhere else for your joy, nowhere else for your deliverance, nowhere else for your legacy, nowhere else for your soul fulfillment but to God himself. These people looked to Egypt, and they should have looked to their Father in heaven. He was, he was willing to take care of them. He had told them he would take care of them, and he ended up taking care of them anyway, in spite of themselves. But don't presume on that, because the ten tribes were not shown such mercy. They were destroyed and dispersed. So the lesson is, if you're in trouble physically, Still go to the Lord first and most, and not to physicians. Asa tried the physician's route, and it didn't work. When you're afraid of foreign enemies, don't think about our government. They can't help you. Think about God. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. It's of the Heavenly Father. He has an army that far outnumbers any army on earth, and we want to think about that army first and most. And so that's going to be the lesson. And, and the chapters are simple. And so we're going to move rather quickly. And if you're disappointed, then use my outline. Write me and tell me how many hours you spent in my outline, and it will make me very happy that you were unhappy with me on Sunday morning. 
Let's see if we can go quickly. Section 1, verses 1 through 7. Section 1, verses 1 through 7. Judah looked to Egypt for safety when they should have looked to the Lord. So I read you the first seven verses. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For his princes were at Zoan, and as ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help, nor profit, but a shame, and also a reproach. The burden of the beasts of the south, into the land of trouble and anguish, from whence come the young and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. Amen and amen. Verse 1. Woe. It doesn't say the burden of Judah. It says, woe to the rebellious children, and the rebellious children are of Judah. They're the Jews. And they're going to Egypt for help and counsel instead of going to the Lord. They're looking for a covering, like wings to cover them and protect them. A shadow, like, a, like wings of a mother bird over chicks to protect them but they weren't looking for God's spirit and they were adding sin to sin. The Jews were already sinners. They were already in trouble because they were idolaters and because they had rejected the counsel of the Lord and because their lives were filled with oppression and perverseness, things that we've read about off and on for 29 chapters. And so they had already sinned, but now they're adding another sin and that is going down to Egypt for help and offending God. When you think that someone or something can help you and you put that person or that thing up equal to God, um, let's not even say above God, but up equal to God, you offend the Almighty. Right. Because He's the only one that can help you and He has conveyed that by so many different ways, by illustration and by precept and commandment, that you offend Him. Don't offend him. They're adding sin to sin. They walk to go down into Egypt instead of asking at God's mouth what they should do. They're going down there to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh instead of the strength of God Almighty. Right. El Shaddai. God Almighty. As God was known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're looking to trust in the shadow of Egypt. The wings of Egypt instead of the wings of an eagle, as God describes himself. And so it ends with an exclamation point, that opening sentence of verses 1 and 2. Woe to the rebellious children who are adding sin to sin by looking for help and salvation from a source other than me. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame. This is going to turn to your shame and disgrace. And the trust in the shadow of Egypt... Your trust in his wings is going to turn to your confusion. Flip back to Isaiah chapter 20, where we were taught that several weeks ago, and not many, because we are making our way quickly through this Old Testament book. Isaiah 20, do you remember? Isaiah 20, that God told Isaiah in verse 2, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And he walked naked and barefoot for several years because it was a visible demonstration that that is what God was going to do to Egypt. And their confederates, 
the Ethiopians in which Judah was trusting. So we have this man, the prophet of God, walking in Jerusalem without his sackcloth and without his shoes, barefoot and naked, to show that they're going to go into captivity. The Assyrians are going to beat the Egyptians. And the, the sixth verse is just a wonderful verse. And the inhabitant of this isle shall say in that day. The Jews are going to say in the day they find out that the Assyrians have defeated the Egyptians and the Ethiopians. Behold, such is our expectation. Whither we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And how shall we escape? If these are the ones that we were looking to for our deliverance, and they were defeated so easily and are now in captivity and captives themselves, how shall we escape? That is the shame and the confusion that we're reading about right now in Isaiah chapter 30. They would be ashamed of Egypt because Egypt could not help them. And so that is verse 3. Verse 4, For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes. It's not Hanes. It's Hanes like Ramses. But anyway, they sent forth their envoys to meet with the envoys coming from the Jews. And they meant for a confab to get together and to talk about how Egypt might be able to help them in battle. See, the Egyptians appreciated Judah being a buffer zone between Assyria and Egypt because the only way to get there was through the, the, the area we call Palestine, where Judah was a major place with a lot of fenced cities and so Egypt had an interest in them. They had an interest in Egypt that Judah might stop them. And Judah wanted Egypt to help stop the Assyrians because they were terrified of them. They were a cruel people. And so the princes and ambassadors of the Egyptians came to Zoan and to Hanes. And the envoy coming from Jerusalem came to those places as well to meet up with them. And they brought money with them. Verse 6 the burden of the beasts of the south. This is burden used in the real sense, the literal sense of the word, as we understand it. That's a heavy load. The heavy load of the beasts of the south. That means they're headed south. They're going down to Egypt because Egypt is directly south of Israel and Judah. Into the land of trouble and anguish. That is the history that Israel had in that place called Egypt. From whence come the young and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. It's a terrible place. Egypt was a terrible place compared to the land of Canaan. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. They take their money and invest their money. They took their accumulated profits and invested it in helpers that could not profit them. That is not the way to use the word profit. To take your accumulated profits and invest it someplace where it cannot profit. If you've got accumulated profits, then invest that money where it can profit you. Like some sacrifices to the Lord Jehovah in Jerusalem on His altar. This is terrible. There's a meeting in verse 4, and there's a payment in verse in verse. There's a payment in verse 6, and it's all going to amount to nothing in verse 5 as you work your way through these verses and work your way back and forth. And then again we hear it from the Lord, For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. You are going to be ashamed and confused that you paid good money to get nothing for it. Therefore have I cried concerning this. God has cried out through Isaiah the prophet, a fantastic six-word de declaration. Their strength is to sit still. Now be careful on what you think about those words. If you read quickly through Isaiah 30, you might think that those words are mocking the Egyptians. That the strength of Egypt... All they can muster is to sit still in their lazy boys. Well, Egypt could do a lot more than that. And Egypt did do a lot more than that. And Egypt did bring forth an army. And Egypt did gather the Ethiopians with them and come against Sennacherib. 
That's why Sennacherib lifted his siege at Lachish, ended his siege at Lachish, went to Libna, and met Terhaka, as we can find in other places in the Bible. This cry of the Lord that summarizes these seven verses, their strength is to sit still. If they wanted to be saved, they should sit still. They should not be walking down to Egypt. They should not be doing anything but sitting still and asking of me, as verse 2 describes it, and trusting me because I will deliver by my mighty hand. I will deliver by my angel. I will not need a mighty man. I will not need an average man. I will not need anything. Sit still, stand still, and see the salvation of God. That is summed up in those words. And there are many reasons why that is the choice we make for that declaration. And I am not going to give you them because I want to get to section two. And I'm sorry, but I hope that you'll rejoice that we have ourselves another wonderful statement of scripture. Fury is not in me, we've enjoyed. Because of the anointing, we've enjoyed. Oh, Emmanuel, we've enjoyed. I want you to enjoy their strength is to stand still. Their strength is to sit still. And if you'll sit and beg God for help, He loves to come in a situation like that where you don't get any of the glory. And it's all by Him. I will give you one verse out of many because I'm going to read to you from Exodus 14. It is the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea and they're terrified because here come the Egyptians. Oh, it's the same group of people? Oh, okay. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13. They're terrified. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Beautiful. Beautiful. Sit still. Sit still. Don't go looking to help yourself. Sit still and call upon me, and I will deliver you. Let me give you one more. It's verse 15 in Isaiah chapter 30. If you run down to verse 15 in Isaiah 30, we have this stuck in the middle of the judgment of Judah. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. In returning and rest shall ye be saved. If you'll come back to me and forget Egypt and sit down, be quiet, And trust me, you can be at peace. But what does it say? And ye would not. They wouldn't do it his way. He was going to do it all for them. They wouldn't have had to lose all that cash. That was a lot of capital they threw down the land of Egypt. They didn't have to do that. Do it the Lord's way. Put the Lord first. Brethren. Second section, verses 8 through 11. Judah rejected the word of God. First of all, their sin was to go down to Egypt. Their second sin was to reject God's word because God had told them that he would deliver them and if they would trust in him, he would take care of them. Verses 8 through 11. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Amen and amen. This was their hatred of God's word by his prophets, warning them that he was going to judge them and that they needed to repent in order to preserve their state. 
And so the Lord tells Isaiah, go write this before them in a table. The warnings that I've given them, the promises, the offerings that I've given them, put it in a public table. Write it in a table where they'll be able to see it publicly. Remember, he did this back in chapters 8 and 9. Do you remember? Take a pen and a great roll and write in it so that everyone can see what you're writing down. And also, note it in a book that it may be to, for the time to come forever and ever. And we see in here an indirect explanation and an indirect reference and proof for the doctrine of inspiration and preservation that God tells you what to write down and you write it down because God's going to keep it forever and ever. And so we have scripture today with his warnings from the book of Isaiah that were written down and noted in a book. And we have them in a book. And I've already referred to Isaiah as the book of Isaiah. And we have a book of 66 books. And so there's been a lot of writing. Now go write it before them in a table, noted in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. That those Jews were rebellious people because they would not humble themselves and look to God for their deliverance. They're rebellious. They're lying children. They profess that I'm their God. They go through the outward motions of, ceremony, of, our, of our holidays throughout the year, but they don't come to me when they're in trouble. And they have, they have their idols, and they send money down to Egypt. They're liars. Do you understand what, here we come, we come into this church, and we sing songs like, Jesus, I my cross have taken. More love to thee, O Christ. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Then we go out of here and show by our lives that Jesus isn't the sweetest name we know. And the other statements that we make are not true by our actions. So we fit the ninth verse. We're lying children. Because to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength is the only level of love that he will accept right. as love of him. Verse 10, they tell the seers. A seer is one that God gives divine revelation to of truth in visions. He sees visions. And so they tell the seers, don't have any more visions. We don't want you to have visions and we don't want to hear about them. And they would tell the prophets, stop prophesying to us. Stop preaching to us right things. Prophecy and prophesying is not always foretelling the future. It is declaring the will of God, the future being only a part of it. That's why in the New Testament it would tell us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 20, despise not prophesyings. Right. Don't resent preaching. If you resent preaching, there is something seriously, spiritually wrong with you. Because it is how God has chosen to convey His Word to us. Despise not prophesyings is 1 Thessalonians 5.20. But look at these people. They tell the, the seers that have visions, don't have any more visions and don't tell us about them. And prophets, stop preaching right things. Preach us some smooth sermons. Preach us some comforting sermons. Even if you've got to preach some fables, just tell us something nice to hear. Can't you flatter us a little bit? Isn't this language fantastic? This language should be put in a billboard somewhere, everywhere in America, because that's what people want from pulpits today. They want smooth things. They want comforting things. They want entertaining things. They want fables. They don't want what prophets deliver. Do you know what prophets deliver? Read the book of Isaiah. What do prophets deliver? You've been bad. God is mad and he's going to judge you, but he'll save you if you'll repent and do what is good. It's that simple. Amen. That, that's a simple. That's precept upon precept. If you want to reduce it to young, simple preaching. But that's what they preached. But look at these men. And so it is today. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want to hear smooth things. They want to hear entertaining things. And they shall turn their ears away from the truth 
and be turned unto fables. And we are living in that generation. Let us love Isaiah. Let us love Isaiah even if the next chapter says the same thing. You have been bad. God is mad. And God is going to punish you unless you repent and do what is good. Then he will save you and bless you. And then we go to the next chapter. You have been bad. God is mad. And God is going to judge you. And there are people that bristle at that. I'm tired of that. They will not endure because it takes endurance. This book just goes over and over and over God's judgment upon the Jews in the matter of Sennacherib, the Assyrians, and Hezekiah. And it repeats it over and over. You've got to endure it. Bible preaching has to be endured for its proper harshness to demand change lives. Because a preacher is at war with his hearers. That is 2 Corinthians 10. Bible preaching must be endured for its lack of entertaining fables for carnal Christians or reprobates. So there's nothing entertaining in it. Bible preaching must be endured for its length to convey adequate material because God has quite a bit to say. So that when Paul preached until midnight and the young man was sitting in the third story window, he fell out and was taken up dead. Paul raised the young man from the dead, put him back in the pew, and then what did Paul do? I guess I've preached long enough if someone fell asleep. No, he preached till the break of day. And so there's, there's something to endure. But notice, let's keep looking at verse 11. This is what they told their prophets. Get you out of the way. We don't want the way. We don't want the path. We don't want strict Christianity. We want a new form of Christianity. We want a form of godliness. We don't want the real thing. So get you out of the way. Isaiah, get out of the way of righteousness. Turn aside out of the path of God. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We are tired about hearing of an angry God. We are tired of hearing of God as a judge. We want God to be our friend. God loves everybody. And He wants the best for all of us. He wants us all to be winners like Joel and Victoria. (laughs) Oh, They're adding sin to sin. This is not the way to get God's deliverance. But I'm going to tell you, our God is so merciful. And there's one thing I left out of my repetition that pop up in these chapters are the single verses here and there of great salvation, mercy and forgiveness, and revival that he was going to bring them. You know I I I forgot them, and you should know that I, I didn't forget them. I didn't want to mention them at this point because I'm going to mention them in just a few verses. This is terrible. And so when we look at it, we can say, you know what? That's just like it is today. That's just like it is today. And if the truth be told, and I don't want anyone else in the church to know it, I don't want another person in the church to know this, if the truth is told, sometimes I'm like that. I wish the preacher would just tell me something happy. I just want to go happy. I just wish once in a while he could sound a little bit like Robert Schuler. Couldn't he just tell us a few stories and cut the sermon short? You end up in those verses. Right. Let's go to the next section. Yes, more could be said. Thank you for observing. Third section, verses 12 through 17. Judah judged for rejecting God. They went to Egypt in the first section. Verses 1 through 7, they rejected his word. Verses 8 through 11, and now they're going to be judged for rejecting him. Verse 12, I read, Wherefore, because of that attitude of going to Egypt in verses 1 through 7, because of that attitude about his word in verses 8 through 11, because of their orders to the prophets to stop preaching the way that God wanted them to preach, we have a wherefore. Verse 12, Wherefore, And verse 13 will be, therefore, get ready for this. Here comes the bomb of God judging the Jews. 
Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, Because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. And he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it assured to take fire from the hearth or to take water withal out of the pit. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and ye would not. But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee, and we will ride upon the swift. Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one. At the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign on an hill. Amen and amen. This is the judgment of God falling upon them for going to Egypt instead of to him, for not sitting still when he would have fought the battle for them, and for rejecting his word and telling his preachers to preach something else. What is the remedy for churches and men that want something else to be preached, that want to hear fables? It's a three-word job description of 2 Timothy 4.2. It's only three words long. I hope you won't forget it. Preach the word. Don't ever cater to them. Don't pander to them. Don't pamper them. Preach the word. You know, all that was coming for these people was the Assyrians. So they were going to take them and tie them to stakes out in front of the city and have soldiers scrape the skin off their bodies. So Jesus would say, Fear not them which tie the body down and flay the skin off it, but fear them, but fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. And so should New Testament preachers be less intense and less representative of God's judgment than Old Testament? No way. The next time God visits planet Earth is going to be a, a very ugly compared to this gentle stuff of being flayed. O Lord, help us. Verse 12, Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, Because you despise my preaching, you despise my warning, you despise my call to repentance, you despise me wanting to save you and help you by my own power, and you want to oppress the poor, you want to be perverse and go to Egypt, you want to stay upon that help, therefore, I'm going to punish this iniquity, and it's going to be like a breach ready to fall. Now you've got to imagine a high wall, because it says high wall. And you've got to imagine a rupture that is occurring near the bottom, where there's a lot of weight above it, and the wall is starting to bow out, bow out. It's starting to bow, because it was just not made as well as it should have been, and the Lord is, it's called a breach here. It's a rupture in a wall, and all that weight is sitting on it, and as it starts to give, at any instant, it is going to explode outward and the wall come tumbling down. Right. And so that is the word picture that God wants us to get in verse 13. Therefore, this iniquity, your sin by going to Egypt, your sin against my prophets, your sin against my word, shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, a rupture in a wall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. Because you've got this mounting pressure, and you engineers could get up here and probably do a better job. But as it comes down, the pressure is great, and it's going to explode out in an instant. And so it's described that way, and he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. Your conspiracy and confederacy with the Egyptians, and your, think that you, and your thought that you have strength, and your thought that you have a shadow over you, your, the, the Jewish state, the Egyptian state, coming together in a confederacy is going to explode like a broken piece of pottery. There won't be a piece big enough 
for you to scrape coals off the hearth or to even bring a little bit of water from the pit. It'll just be sherds. It'll be pot sherds. It'll be what we call shards. He will not spare in verse 14 because, verse 15, I offered you peace. I offered you strength. I offered you salvation. And all you had to do was sit still and see the salvation of the Lord. And ye would not. So he goes right back to judgment. You said to me, no. You said to my prophets, no. We will not repent. We will flee upon horses when the Assyrians get close enough. Well, therefore you're going to have to run away. And you're going to run away a thousand at a time for one against one who's frightening you. We will ride upon the swift. Therefore, they that pursue you shall be swift. I'm going to get all of you. There's only going to be, you know, the, the sherds are going to be very small that are left. The prophet has told them. Verse 17, 1,000 shall flee at the rebuke of one. You know, Rabshakeh was enough to scare the whole nation. Are you kidding? There's only one being they should have been afraid of, and that was the God of heaven by the mouth of his prophet Isaiah, not Rabshakeh. Who's Rabshakeh? He didn't know anything. He had no threat. Did he shoot in it? Did he have his army? Shoot an arrow against Jerusalem? No. And so forth and so on. 1,000. This is Deuteronomy chapter 32. It is the perfect fulfillment of what God had told Moses 1,000 years earlier. Let me just round off numbers. 1,000 years earlier in Deuteronomy 32. When God told Moses to tell Israel, if you obey me, these are your blessings. And it runs for 15 verses. If you don't obey me, this is how I'm going to curse you. And it runs for 53 verses. From 16 to 68. And this is one of the judgments described there. How fearful they would be. And there would be so few of them left. It would be like a beacon upon the top of a mountain. A little, a little fire up there in the top of the mountain would be the, the, compared to the former glory of Judah. It'd be like an ensign, a flag is put on top of a mountain or a big hill. You know, it's very small and insignificant compared to the largeness of the mountain or hill. This is Judah being judged for rejecting God. Why? Why? Had God delivered them from Egypt? Had God delivered them from the seven nations of Canaan? Had God delivered them from all the Philistines? Amen. God had delivered them and delivered them and delivered them. Right. Let us never forget God's deliverances. And let us keep our trust in Him at all times. This is the nature of Isaiah. Next verse, blessing. There'll be blessing from verses 18 through 26. And then what's going to happen to Assyria from 27 through 33. We've covered three sections of this chapter already. Verses 1 through 7, they're going to Egypt and they shouldn't have. Verses 8 through 11, they're rejecting God's prophets and they shouldn't have. Therefore, verses 12 through 17, God is going to judge them thoroughly. Now, we come to verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait. He's going to allow a few things to play out. Sometimes He lets things play out in your lives. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. He's got to get the lesson accomplished. Do you understand that? He can't just stop his chastening too early. Didn't chapter 28 help us? That like a farmer knows the exact timing and the exact way to plant every seed and how to harvest every plant and how to process every seed taken from the plant that grew from the seed he planted that as a farmer knows how to do all that God knows how to deal with each one of us and to deal with each nation with the proper amount of chastening but there's timing involved and sometimes he needs to wait do farmers ever wait do farmers ever do anything but wait I mean waiting is a huge part of a farmer's life and so the Lord would wait because he had to let some of this chastening play out because he needed this potter's vessel to be broken. But when it broke and it cried to the Lord for help, oh, yes, 
Here's what we have. Okay, listen to these words. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Oh, yes. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. Ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver, and the ornament of thy molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed, that thou shalt sow the ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. The oxen likewise and the young asses that ear the ground shall eat clean provender, which hath been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. And there shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. Amen and amen. amen. Wonderful blessings promised upon Judah when God was through chastening them. I hope you noticed in verse 18 that the Lord was going to wait so that there was going to be some adversity and some affliction coming and they were to wait on the Lord. Sit still and see the salvation of God. He was going to be exalted. How did he get exalted? That Egypt couldn't help. That Egypt was taken down and that he killed 185,000 in one night. There's only one being that can do that and he would get and be exalted. Verse 19. The people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. I am still protecting this city. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. And when Hezekiah brought Rabshakeh's last letter in and laid it before the Lord, he cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard him. And the Lord said, send this back to Sennacherib. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath laughed thee to scorn. She hath tossed her head at thee. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Verse 20, the Lord's got to give you some bread of adversity, and he's got to give you some water of affliction. But there's coming a, very, a time very soon when he will no longer hide your teachers and pull them away and just leave a few and put them in a corner. He's going to let them be out visible in public. What is it when preachers have had to hide in a corner and then they are out in public where everyone can see and hear them? It's an R word. What describes that change from preachers hiding to preachers preaching? Revival. And this is what happened. There was a tremendous revival under Hezekiah. Oh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah sent an order out. There were so many preachers. And he reminded all the Jews that were here getting his letters in those days, he reminded them that they all needed to make sure they were giving their tithes so that all the ministers could be encouraged. It's, it's in the Bible about Hezekiah, because there were a lot of them. There was a revival. We've read about it over and over. Do you remember, look back at chapter 10, just to remind you where we've been. Oh, I hope that you'll go back over the chapters, and by whatever means you like, note some of the important verses. This is Isaiah 10, verse 20. It shall come to pass in that day, 
you know this is Sennacherib, king of Assyria. He's the rod in God's hand. It shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them. They're not going to be looking to Assyria for help like they had under Ahaz, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. It wouldn't be a return locationally or geographically. It would be a return religiously because it would be a revival. They would return to the Lord. So we're here at verse 21 in Isaiah 30. And thine eyes shall hear a word. You are going to have the benefit of the public ministry of God's word. You are going to be able to see your preachers because they're not going to be hiding anymore. And you're going to be able to hear them. And so whenever you go to an assembly and you've been, you've been wandering left or right, you're going to hear a voice. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And it's going to be there constantly for you because I'm going to increase your preachers again. There's going to be a revival. Verse 22. Ye shall defile also. This is part of the revival. There's going to be an increase in public preaching and they are going to get rid of their idolatry. They're going to throw all their idols away like a woman's menstrual rag. Thou shalt say unto it, Get that thing out of here. Get thee hence. Isn't, you say, that's, that's the Lord's language. That's how the Lord preaches. That's how Isaiah preached. And so they were going to look at their idols, their idols of silver, their idols of gold, their molten images, all the work that they had put into them with silver and gold. Get that thing out of here. That's exactly what we want to hear. You know, that's what we want to hear about an evergreen tree set up at the winter solstice. Get that thing out of here. That's what we want to hear about a jack-o'-lantern on your front porch when I drive by with a megaphone. Get that thing out of here. For anyone in Radio Land, there are no jack-o'-lanterns on any of our front porches. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Get that thing out of here. I remember many, many years ago, when my oldest children were little children, tiny children, in grocery stores, and they would see any of these pagan, any of the stuff of pagan holidays. I remember a two-year-old, God, 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 no, no, no. <laughs> Seeing those things, get that thing out of here. Yes, there's sound bites in all these chapters for us. They're idols, what they were trusting in before. Look at verse 23. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed, that thou shalt sow the ground withal. Now there's a lot more, and we're going to get it in chapters to come. This was a sabbatical year, followed by a year of jubilee. But you, we're not told that here. We're going to be told that in chapter 37. Now how in the world do you survive when a foreign army has come in and destroyed your farms and it's a sabbatical year and you've got a year of jubilee coming next and you can't plant. Oh, trust me. Are you kidding me? The Lord can't take care of you? That's the kind of situation he loves to take care of you in. Right. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to bury the earth. With, he's going to bury Judah with prosperity. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed, that thou shalt sow the ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. It will be the best-looking seed, farms, yield, fruit, that you've ever seen. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures, the oxen likewise, and the young asses that ear the ground. That is to till or plow the ground. That is an old English word, ear, for tilling or plowing the ground, shall eat clean provender. There is going to be so much food, you will not feed your farm animals straw, hay, or ordinary grain. You're going to be feeding them what you send to Pillsbury for cupcakes. This is winnowed grain. You're going to get rid of all the chaff. You don't want your animals to have to work through any chaff. You're going to give them clean provender. It's going to be in the granary. There's going to be so much in the granary, you can't eat it all, you can't sell it all, so you're going to feed your animals with it. This is our God. Amen. Has He done that to America? Has He done? Look at that verse. 
Your, your animals are going to, they're not going to be eating some bale of hay you bought from the Philistines for 75. That, that's not true anymore. What is it now? $10 a bale? Or whatever it is, this is the Lord's blessing. Wow. Those oxen and the young asses that till and plow the ground, ear it, shall eat clean provender which hath been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. The same stuff that you make cupcakes from. And pizza dough, but no pepperoni. I just want you to see the prosperity, what they're feeding their animals out of the granary. And there shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. The day of the great slaughter. Can you figure that one out? 185,000 dead. What towers fall? You ought to see the trouble that men have with the word towers falling. Let me give you two options. If I've got two options, then God's okay. And his Bible is still true. Two options. One, it's entirely metaphorical of the towering captains of the Assyrian Empire would fall because God would take down. Do you remember? The 185,000 were not ordinary soldiers. They were the mighty men and the captains and the leaders of the Assyrian Empire. He would take them down. So that's metaphorical. Let's take it literally. Did they have siege towers? When you've built siege towers to take 46 fenced cities of Judah and you have prepared your siege towers to take Jerusalem and you lose 185,000 and you are afraid and you want to get home as fast as you can to your citadel of security in Nineveh, what do you do with engines of war? You tear them down. The towers are pulled down and broken apart in pieces so they can't be used by anyone else because you're not going to haul them back to Nineveh. It's all, I know it's only 700 miles, but you're not going to pull a siege tower 700 miles. That is a literal application for it. I love God's word and I trust it always over every man and any man. There's ways to look at God's word and see the answers. Verse 26, this is light. In the Bible, light is blessing. In the Bible, light is glory. In the Bible, light is favor. And so the light of Judah is going to explode in this revival that is not only financial and economic, but this revival that is religious. God is going to favor them with light. Do you like moonlight at night when there's a full... Do you like that light? Is it glory in the night sky? Do you like a sunrise? Do you like the, the, the sun at high noon? The sun is a beautiful light. And the Lord is saying here in a similitude, I am going to bless Judah so greatly when I revive them and recover them that the moon is going to shine like the sun and the sun is going to be seven times as strong like you have a whole week of sunshine in one day and all of it is figurative for God's blessing and favor upon his people right. in the form of light or glory and favor and blessing and happiness and goodness and prosperity, which is what light is in the Bible. And I'm not turning you to the verses, but you can turn to them if you need to see them. Next section, verses 27 through 33. The end of this chapter. Assyria destroyed by God's fury. Beginning at verse 27. Behold, listen to this language. Listen to this prophetic language and the similitudes and the graphic terms and the fire and the brimstone and the judgment that is used by God so that when you're reading other passages, you do not think literally but figuratively, but this is powerful language. You know, I have tried to be, and, I, and in some ways, I don't have to try very hard to be a graphic, intense pastor for you in preaching the holiness of God, the anger and wrath of God, the judgment of God. This past week, because of this section I'm about to read to you, I asked my wife, I said, you know how hard that I've preached over the last 35 years? Have I preached too hard for the Bible? Oh no. Oh no. Not after you read what I'm about to read to you. Listen to this. This is not a Sunday school lesson for little kitties that are working on graham crackers and milk. Verse 27, Behold, 
the name of the Lord cometh from, a, from far, burning with his anger, and the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue as a devouring fire, and his breath as an overflowing stream shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of vanity. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. Ye shall have a song, as in the night when a holy solemnity is kept, and gladness of heart, as when one goeth with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lighting down of his arm, with the indignation of his anger, and with the flame of a devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hailstones. For through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down, which smote with a rod. And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets and harps. And in battles of shaking will he fight with it. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Amen and amen. That is how God writes the Bible. That may not sound like your Bible storybook, but this is how God writes the Bible. This doesn't sound like the message. This doesn't sound like much that you can hear today, but this is God's word. And this is how Isaiah the prophet described God's coming against the enemies of his church. Now, it was bad in verses 12 through 17, and that was against Judah. But this is worse because this is against the enemies of Judah in those earlier verses. Very quickly, it's the name of the Lord that is the Lord. It's not just his name coming. Is it his name coming in a cloud formation or on a piece of paper? This is the Lord coming that has a glorious name. And he comes from far, he's burning with anger, and the burden of that anger is heavy, and his lips are full of indignation against the blasphemous Rabshakeh and Sennacherib. Verse 28, he shall reach to the, middle, to the midst of the neck. He will not take out Sennacherib, which is the head, at this time. He's going to let Sennacherib get back to Nineveh, so that his sons can kill him when he's in the house of Nisroch, his God. He'll have a bridle in the jaws of the Assyrian Empire and in that army, causing them to err. What's their error? What did they do wrong? Their expedition was to take out Jerusalem and they're going to go back without touching Jerusalem he, because he's got a bridle on them in their jaw. Verse 29, you Jews are going to be singing. When I do, verses 27 and 28, and when I do, verses 30 through 33, you'll be singing. Like when you have a holy solemnity is kept, when you have a holy celebration and you're singing, you'll have gladness of heart. Like when you have a pipe, a musical instrument to come into the mountain of the Lord, into Mount Zion, to celebrate the mighty one of Israel. It's been the holy one of Israel, repeatedly but now it's the mighty one of israel in that 29th verse verse 30 and the lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and there's going to be lighting down of his arm indignation of his anger flame devouring scattering tempest hailstones because the lord is going to cry out in verse 31 against the assyrian and beat him down which smote with a rod and so very briefly very briefly isaiah the prophet brings up the fact that Sennacherib was God's rod and that he had beat certain nations including Judah with that rod but now it was time for Sennacherib to get the beating but just follow the next verse verse 32 and in every place where the grounded staff shall pass that's every city that God planned for Sennacherib to beat and take What's a grounded staff? That is a determined staff with a purpose from God. 
a grounded staff. That's Sennacherib. Everywhere that I, everywhere, every place where the grounded staff shall pass, because it's still this is still all future. Remember, this is not history, and this is not descriptive of it while it's happening. This is a prophecy that Sennacherib had a rod. It's from verse 31, which smote other cities and other nations. And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, the one of God's purpose, which the Lord shall lay upon him, that's every place that the Lord shall lay upon him, not the staff, but the every place that the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets and harps. Everywhere God sent Sennacherib, those that survived will be celebrating with harmonicas and harps and other instruments because his army is dead corpses and he's fleeing back to Nineveh. And in battles of shaking will he fight with it. Sennacherib, with the grounded staff, he was God's staff, the Lord using Sennacherib, Sennacherib using his staff would shake it and beat. But who's really doing the shaking as we learned in Isaiah 10 and verse 15? God is doing the shaking. But Sennacherib thinks he's the one shaking it. And if you read Isaiah 10, 12 through 15, they certainly help in a place like this. And there are other helps as well. For, now he's connecting verse 33 back to 31. Because 31, for through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down. But then he inserts, which smote with a rod, identifying Sennacherib's purpose for even being in the area. And he fulfilled... He, he, he explains it more fully in verse 32, and in verse 33 refers back to 31 that the Assyrian is going down. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large, the pile thereof is fire and much wood, the breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone doth kindle it. Tophet is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, where they burn children in sacrifice. And when there would be a revival, that area would be, would, would be returned to a garbage dump that was continually burning. And so it was Tophet. And I don't want to get, there's other, there's other aspects of this, about what the meaning of Tophet and the beating of drums to drown out the sound of little children that are being burned to death and things like that. But here, it is that valley for burning that I will fill with wood and I will consume the Assyrian army. And it's prepared for the king. But remember, it's a similitude because Sennacherib did go back to Nineveh and go into the house of Nisroch his God. And actually, based on Bible chronology, he did it 30 years later, which means he had 30 years to think about what happened to him in Judah and his sons killed him and escaped into Armenia. But he would be burned and take, figuratively, he would be burned up with fire and much wood, and how would it get kindled? This figurative fire that's going to burn up Sennacherib and the Assyrian army, how would it get kindled? The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. That's the word of the Lord. What's our lesson? Don't ever put your trust in anything else but Him. <clears throat> I think I know how you reason, because I think you know how I reason. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. It depends on me. <clears throat> Their strength is to sit still. Do you want God's strength on your behalf? Sit still and wait upon the Lord. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. Did Hezekiah do some things? Did he make darts and shields in abundance? Did he fix up the wall? Did he redirect the water? But he did not put his trust in those things. First and most is the Lord. And so we have Psalm 127 that tells us, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Verse 15 of this chapter, In returning and rest shall ye be saved. 
How do, you, how do you get saved? Return to God and rest in Him. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. How do you get strength on your side? Have confidence in God, which is faith. There it is. That's our lesson. They didn't do it, but wasn't God merciful? He preserved the city of Jerusalem and delivered them anyway. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word, and may we never turn away from Him to go to Egypt in any way, shape, or form, and may we never reject the preaching of His Word, but want it just as it's written, hard, long, intense, graphic, and sometimes about 20% peaceful and comforting. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.